we see millions of people demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have. It's not in what governs us or what laws we pass or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That is where our hope is in this country, and that is where our hope is in this life. My name is Ryan Van Kirk, and I'm the executive worship pastor here at Momentum Church. And we are in the last part of our series, Starting Point, and I get to close this out. And everyone has a starting point, whether you are new to Christianity or whether you're here investigating we got to start somewhere. So I want to ask you this question, and let's be honest for, for this. Have you ever bargained or negotiated with God? It's the God, if you will, I will always. Or God, if you will give me this, I will give you that. Maybe the scenario is like this. You're driving down the road and you're, you're late for work and you start praying, God, I need all the green lights, no traffic, uh, no cops, please. I just need to, I need to get there. Uh, if you could make me invisible, God, I just, I could just get in and be unnoticed. God, I promise, I promise I will serve in the kids ministry every week for the next year, if you could just get me to work and I can be on time. Or maybe the scenario is you go to the gas station and you, you get the lottery ticket and you think, all right, God, um, I need some money. And what's money's nothing to you, but I, it's everything to me. And this can be a win-win. If, if, I can, if you can make this a winning lottery ticket, I'll give you half. I'll tithe half of it to the church, I promise. Or maybe you're negotiating and bargaining with your life. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you need healing. And so it, it, it may sound something like this. God, if you'll heal me, God, if you'll give me more time, I promise I'll live a better life. I promise that I will tell more people about you. I'll give you all the glory. See, when we bargain and we're negotiating with God, we think that God has that we have something that God wants, that we have something that God needs, and he, and he doesn't need or want anything from us. See, God does not want something from you. God wants something for you. This idea that God wants something for us is what separates Christianity from all the other religions. Everybody else, it's performance-based. It's merit-based. you got to do these things to get to this. With Christianity, God says, I want something for you. And the word that encapsulates that idea, the word that can bring that idea that God wants something for us into the center is this powerful beautiful, amazing word. And that word is grace. Grace can be easily 
defined as unmerited favor. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to deserve it. I love this quote by Max Licato. It says, grace is God's best idea. His decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately, and to restore justly, what rivals it? Of all his wondrous works, grace, in my estimation, is the magnum opus. I like this quote. Grace is most needed and best understood in the midst of sin, suffering, and brokenness. We live in a world of earning, deserving, and merit. And these results in judgment. That is why everyone wants and needs grace. Judgment kills. Only grace makes us alive. Grace is at the center of Christianity. And so for our text today, we are going to dive into Ephesians. Now, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and I can't think of anybody who could help us understand grace better than Paul. Paul used to be named Saul, and Saul was a Roman. He was a highly educated Jewish man, and he hated Christianity. He hated it. He wanted to wipe it out. He persecuted him. He beat him. He put him in prison. He murdered him. He was awful to Christians. But one day on the road to Damascus, God intersects with Saul. He blinds him. And he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And at that moment, the Saul, the man who hated Christianity, the man who beat them and imprisoned them, murdered them, hated them, became a lover of Christianity. He evangelized the world. He wrote half the New Testament. You know, God could have said, Saul, we're done. See ya. But he didn't. He had grace and love and compassion for Saul. And Saul changed his name to Paul. And that's who wrote this letter to the churches of Ephesus. We're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, now pay attention to this. Don't miss this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'm going to read that again, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is so important for us to get and to understand. And it's hard for us to relate to God like that because it doesn't line up with the culture that we live in. We live in a performance-based culture. When you go online and you go to check out a restaurant, the first thing we do is start looking at reviews. Right? Businesses live and die by their reviews. When we look for the five-star but we're really searching for that one, that, that two-star review. It's a performance-based culture. We need the two thumbs up. We need the rewards. We need the accolades. That's how we relate to each other. That's how we relate in our culture. But God flips that. He, he doesn't want that. He doesn't need that. He's given us five stars. He gives us the A+. He says, By, because of my great love, for you. It is my gift of grace that saves you. The best illustration I think that we have that just shows the great love of God and it shows the grace of God is the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. And as we read it, I want you to think about this grace that we've talked about, this unmerited favor, the thing that we can't earn, and it's the thing that we really don't deserve. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This is a huge slap in the face from the younger son. Usually the estate is, is spread out when the father passes away. It's like this younger son saying, Dad, I don't want to really be your son. I don't care whether you're alive or dead. I'm out. Give me my money. You're better off dead. That's what this means. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, now here's the, here he's starting the negotiation, right? Here he's going to start to bargain with his dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. And then this is where we see grace and the great love that the father has for us modeled out. But while he was a long way off, the younger son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, 
threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, he starts the bargaining. He starts the negotiation. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And he can't even get the rest out. And his dad says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and let's kill the fattened calf and let's have a feast and we're going to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The great love of the Father, the free gift of grace. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. But his father had compassion and love for his son. Now, there were two sons in this story. And here's the thing about grace. When you receive grace, when you get grace, it's undeserved. It's unmerited. You you didn't earn it. But sometimes we end up like the older brother. And he's kind of on the, he's on the sidelines and he's watching this. He's hearing about it and it makes him angry. He's livid. He's mad. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? He said, your brother's come. He, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother. He's like, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him? Listen to their father's reply. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You cannot bargain and negotiate with God. God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. And if we can understand this kind of grace, if we can just try to live under that grace, sanctified by it, covered in it, then we should be the most loving, the most kind, the most gracious people on the planet. And when we started with where is the hope? The hope is the power of God working through the hearts of people. That is where our hope is in this country. And that is where our hope is in this life. Today, you may have heard something you've never heard before. Maybe you lived a life of I've got to be good enough. I got to be smart enough. I got to be the best. And today I hope that you heard that you are good enough. 
I hope that you heard that God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope you heard the words, I love you from God. There is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for another. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me. He laid down his life. He humbly went to the cross and he said, I love you this much. He was buried and he rose again. And that is how we have life. And that is how we have it abundantly. And so maybe today you're hearing this for the first time, the words, I love you. You're understanding the gift of God, the gift of grace. You're understanding, if you know that verse, John 3, 16, it's finally making sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe today you are saying, yes, I need that. I want that. And the beauty of it all is there's nothing that you can do to earn it. It is free. It is the free gift of God. So I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to make the best decision that you could ever make. And that is saying yes to Jesus. Yes to eternal life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. At his name, the name of Jesus, that every knee and every bow will confess that he is Lord. And it says that if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we are his. So I want to invite you to bow your heads. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. I need you. I need rescued. I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my trespasses. Come into my life. Come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I am so excited for you. That is the best decision you could ever make. And we want to celebrate with you. It says when one comes to faith that the heavens throw a party. They're celebrating. They are 
and we want to do that with you. And it's not to embarrass you, but we want you to raise your hand because we have hosts and they have some blue bags and they want to come and give you something that's going to help you. It's a resource that's going to help you on your next steps. So I want to invite you on the count of three to raise your hand and we are going to celebrate a new person in the kingdom of God. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Yes, we are so proud of you. We are so excited for you. God is excited in the heavens. The heavens are partying with you, for you. At this time, we want to turn it over to our campuses.